0: Open your Bible to the sixth chapter of Acts. We'll start there in just a moment. I have something that uh, I'm thoroughly convinced that the Lord wants me to share with you. I have made reference to it, maybe, you know, uh, but never really preached on it till recently. I felt led down Brother John Osteen's uh, convention to share with the ministers there. I asked how many pastors, it's amazing how many in the daytime, how many pastors there, and how many ministers other ministers as well. And uh, if you got something good, you ought to share it with everybody, you know. And uh, I had made reference to it, but never never really preached on it, never really presented it. Sometimes you can say something, refer to something, but really if you don't get into it, well, folks miss it. And, and so the Lord seemed to impress me that I, in this banquet I should share this with you. Sometimes, you know, folks want to know why this happened or that, or uh, we were in uh, Florida, in uh, Ken and I, and Lynette and Orita in uh, January, in what they called an idea exchange. We attended the first one in Dallas about three years ago. But uh, these are pastors of the largest churches, full gospel churches in America. You have to have at least a thousand on Sunday to be able to come to the meeting and uh, then these people pastor five six seven eight nine ten thousand people and have crowds like that on sunday so some of them ask me you know uh or ask the question i can't can answer better than i did Uh, i don't know you know i i don't like to attract any attention unto myself because uh, really i'm nothing without him i can do nothing but, you know, what is the secret of your success? Now, some of those fellows, I knew them a number of years ago, and they're right about where they were when I knew them. There were some ministers there who was with us in the voice of Healy. How did you just suddenly, you know, burst upon the scene in, in such a, a manner? And uh, some of them said last year, here at camp meeting, they all heard about, it. see, we had over 24,000 people registered. And that's the largest meeting in America of that kind. And uh, what's the secret? And I think maybe ever since then, the Lord's been dealing with me about that. Because you see, here here it is. I've got it for you. The Lord gave it to me. I dated it December the 1st, 1948. (laughs) December the 1st, 1948, I was pastor of a small church down in East Texas. You know, our main auditorium, we might crowd 300 in it. It'd be to really have to crowd them in and put some folks in the extra room to get that many in there, really. And uh, I took time to wait on God. And this is actually just a little piece of paper off of a little pad that's yellow. It was yellow. It's, Still he is. There it was, it was white. <laughs> one of those colored pads, you know, about three inches by five. And I'd always keep them handy. We didn't have recorders, you know, anything in those days. And the Lord said something to me, write it down. And I have a lot of those or several of them and some here in my Bible. This is one I've always carried in my Bible all these years, since 1948. Well, now, how long ago was that? About 35 years? Amen. And uh, so the Lord gave it to me. I got my own scripture to go along with it. He, he didn't give me any scripture. He just said something to me. And then I found scripture that covered it. Uh, a, a lot of times in getting sermons, and you understand this difference in preaching sermons and teaching Bible lessons and so on and so forth. But sometimes God, you know, even as a pastor out on the field and field minutes, just speak a, a word to your spirit or a thought or give you a subject and then... You know, I'd, I'd look in the Bible to see if I could find a scripture that would, you know, that go along with that. And and it's amazing when he speaks how much scripture you can't find to go along with it. Because if he speaks, it is in line with the scripture. I, I remember uh, out of healing school, you know, when we had healing school for about over three years at two or fifteen in the afternoon. A lot of times, and I don't know why it works that way, you know, you, you can't you don't control the Holy Ghost. You know be a whole lot better if he'd speak to you at certain times you know where you could get it all down real good you know but sometimes just while patchy was singing the last song before get it would get he'd start saying something to me and that's the reason i'd have these cards i always carry these cards now not necessarily just a sheet of paper you see but just a two by you see that's been written on three by five and uh and, and so yeah i got them all through here you know 50 to 20 of them and and these are all filled up now once in a while i get the uh, but I try to keep some blank ones there, you know, or the back side of one. Now, for instance, here's one. One day he said to me, study on the anointing. Study further about the anointing. Sometime when Clint was with us, he's going to school and he, every day. Like he and Sarah would make healing school. He'd play and sing for us. And he'd sing this before I'd songs While he's singing. You, you see, remember this, singing's got something to do with it. In the Old Testament, you know, the prophet said, now bring me a minstrel. When the minister began to play, well, the, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, said, a hand of God came on him. That's the Holy Ghost, you see. And, and sometimes he'd say different things to me, and i just write them down. And so one day, he, he kept saying, hear and be healed. And reading, I didn't get it written down the first day, but second day, you know, he said it again. Now, it's strange, he didn't say it anywhere else except there. You know, you go all every day cross the campus, driving to school, you know. But you walked into there, into the healing class, you know, and got on the platform. And here they are singing. He said, hear and be healed. You know, you almost look around and so say, who said that? And, and so finally, the third day, I wrote it down then. And I said, well, is there anything in the Bible about hearing and being healed? And so I looked into concordance, you know, and, and I found out there is. And I realized what he was saying to me. And so that's the same thing with this. Now, here's what he said to me, and I wrote it down. That's that's the original. I had uh, Doris, my secretary, recently put it in uh, plastic so I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't keep deteriorating, losing it at 35 years. But uh, the secret of a successful apostolic ministry. Well, that's what I wanted. I think that's what most ministers want. That's what he was saying to me, the secret Is there there a secret to it? The secret to a successful apostolic ministry. And then he just gave it to him in capsule form. I wrote it down and found scripture later. I'll give you scripture here that I found to cover it. Full of faith and power are the Holy Ghost. Using the divine given instruments. And if you're writing and don't get it, I'll come over it again so you leave space using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion will make you irresistible. And then I dated it December the 1st, 1948. Uh, I've kept that from that day to this. And if I've had any measure or manner of success at all, it's, it's on this little piece of paper. I, I knew what he meant when he said, full of faith and power and, but he talked to me about uh, those other two, using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion. I needed some help there. I'm gonna comment on the first part from scripture and I began to look up scripture after he said that to me. Then I began to look into scripture to see what I could find that would corroborate what he said. Now here in the sixth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, when they, in those days the number of the disciples increased and there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration, Then it says that the 12, that's the Apostles, you see, called the multitude of the disciples of them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Uh, has nothing to do, well, in a way it does too, but here's a little side thought. It's just simply not reason that those in the ministry should leave the word of God and get into secular things. Spend your time with a lot of other things. And even in a lot of things connected with the church. Wherefore, brethren look you out among you seven men number one of honest report number two full of the holy ghost and number three wisdom now get this whom we may appoint over this business that's really the only business that the early church had right at this time because they didn't have any church buildings the only business they had was they had all things common. People sold their possessions, gave them the money. These people handled that. Gave out to people in the daily ministration. Everybody had all things common. Are you listening to me? They were saying it's not reason, in other words, they weren't going into secular business, but it's not reason that we should be tied up but taking care of this business and neglect the word of God. Look you out seven men among you of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. It's not reason that the minister should spend his time running the business of the church. It's going to weaken his ministry, weaken the anointing, keep him out of the word of God. He needs to look out among his congregation, those of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom he may appoint. Or the church as a whole. May the saying please the whole group of people. Amen. I'll not comment further about that. But there's a lot you can give that. Notice the next verse. But we will give ourselves continually. Occasionally. Once in a while we'll do it. No. Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll give ourselves continually to this. And the minister should do that, whether he's a pastor, evangelist, whatever his calling is. If he's going to be successful, he's not going to be full of faith without giving himself continually to the word of God. Now, let's go on reading, however. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of of faith, and of the Holy Ghost. Then it goes on to list the names of six other men, among them Philip, he later on became an evangelist. But now skip down to the eighth verse. And Stephen, remember the other verse said, a man full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, all seven of these men are full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said so. All seven of them are. And yet you don't have any record where any of the rest of them, until God called Philip to be an evangelist, where any of the rest of them, not here at least, any of them, worked any miracles or did any wonders. And yet they're all full of the Holy Ghost. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're full of power. You can't be full of the Holy Ghost without being full of power. We in the Pentecostal movement, you see, I I, I gathered that impression from them when I came among them. Well, if the Holy Ghost, if the power is there, it'll work. If it don't work because the power is not present. That's not it at all. You got to have something besides power to get the job done. You got to have faith. I tell the story many times about John Lake. John Lake says in some of his sermons, you know, that when he was 10, 12 year old boy, his daddy, you know, and sort of liked to experiment around, you know, in the area of uh, science and chemicals and different things. And they had a little, he and the neighbor farmer had a makeshift lab set up in the barn. And so one Saturday they were going into town to get something else, they was experimenting around. And so he said to John, Don't go near that barn. Don't you go in the barn. Well, of course, you don't tell a 10 or 12-year-old kid not to do anything. You know, until you get out of sight, he's going to be doing it. That's the reason you don't want to tell your people don't do this and don't do that because they'll all do it because most of them are just kids or spiritually speaking, you know. They don't want to see it as bad as you said it was. One church I pastored, during World War II, a fellow came, and and he was, he was full of gospel, but he was not of our particular persuasion. And he put up a tent right between me and neighboring churches three miles away, a mile and a half from me and a mile and a half from him. And I knew something about the man's ministry. I had a good healing ministry, got people healed. I didn't agree with his theology. You can be right in your heart and wrong in your head, you know. And some way or another, God looks at your heart, you know. And so my neighbor and pastor one day said to me, what are you going to do about that tent meeting? They're putting that tent up. They're going to have that tent meeting right there between us, you know. I said, I'm not going to do a thing in the world about it. What are you going to do about it? Well, he said, I'm going to get up Sunday and forbid my people to go. I said, you're very foolish because just as sure as you forbid them to go, they'll all go. He said, what are you going to do? I said, he's no threat to me. Well, I said, what competition is a mule barn to a grocery store? I'm feeding my people. Amen. He's no threat to me. I'm not, I'm not even going to mention that he's there. I'm just going to ignore him. Well, yeah, you said, what if your people go? I said, I expect them to. Well, you mean you're not going to tell them not to go? I said, certainly not. Well, you don't agree with him? I said, certainly not. Now, he forbid his people to go. He lost seven of the best families he had and liked to lost his property. Is making big payments on a new brick church well saying new a few years old and just like these were the best financial people i never lost a member it got pretty hot with some of my folks i just made one announcement on sunday morning i said folks people have asked me about is it all right to go to the tent meeting over here i said uh, we have services here sunday morning sunday night wednesday night when we have service i expect you to be here If we're not having services, you know, this is America's during World War II, you know. I said, Mr. Mussolini is gonna die and get killed. I didn't know within a week he would, but he did. And I said, Mr. Hitler's not gonna make it. They're not running the land. This is democracy, and you go where you want to. I'm not your dictator. You just go over there if you want to. Just have as much sense as an old cow. Eat the hay and leave the sticks. And come on back over here. I never lost a member. Every church around lost people. See, the fellow built a church out of that after, you know, and he got folks. You know, I never lost anybody. Every one of my people went. Every one of them went. Someone said, why don't you go? I said, well, I wouldn't mind going, but I, I, I'm fearful that if some saw me there, they might think I endorse all of his theology, which I don't. Well, now, God's using the man. I said, certainly is, certainly is, certainly is. I'd heard... The year before that helped me imaginably, we learned one another. Just the year before that happened, just the year before it happened, I heard PC Nelson say, last thing I ever heard him say, we called him Dad Nelson. Last thing I ever heard him say, last time I ever saw him, because within six months after then, he had died and gone to be with the Lord at 70 some odd years of age. And so I heard him say, when I was Baptist, In the city of Chicago, I saw Dr. Dowey, John Alexander Dowey, in the presence of six of we denominational ministers, see, because, see, Dowey died in 1906, so this had to be on prior to, to then. And he said, in the presence of six denominational ministers, I was Baptist, and five medical doctors. The medical doctors had brought a woman that had a malignant growth. It growed inside her mouth, but it's out here like a like a big blue purplish eggplant, he said, over the side of her, almost as big as her head. He said, I saw Dr. Dowie say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and stripped that off of her face. And immediately the doctors examined the side of her face and said, that's just baby skin. That's like newborn baby skin, the whole side of her face. Not only heal, it created miracles. Now, he said, don't tell me you can't follow the faith of a man like that. He said, you can follow now his faith, but you can't follow his doctrine. Now, you read his doctrine, you see it's wrong. Well, you say, how in the world can a man be right in faith and wrong in doctrine? Well, you see, you can be right in your heart and wrong in your head. I mean, if God only blessed people who were always right in their head, none of us would ever get blessed. <laughs> would we? Because I've just been sure certain things were so in my head come to find out they weren't in the process of time <laughs> amen are you listening to me now here's what you need to see here they chose Stephen a man some that we got our minds and you know the the difference between us and some folks is some folks you know will make statues of the Saints you know that you can see where, where we make m- mental statues of the Saints We've got them sitting all around, everywhere. We sort of put them up in a cubicle by themselves. Nobody can to that, see? Well, now, if that was God, you know, they must really be something sort of superhuman. Now, he showed Stephen a man. A man who, with all the faults and the failures and the shortcomings of any man. Remember what James said about Elijah? Elias or Elijah was a man, a man subject to like passions as we are, and yet with his praying, he shut up heaven. It didn't even rain for three years and six months, and he opened up heaven with his prayers and it rained. Oh, he must be something, mustn't he? No, he's just a man. What kind of a man is he anyhow, subject to like passions as we are, just like all the rest of us? hallelujah but you see it's what the man is full of that counts it's what you're full of that counts and so a man they chose Stephen a man full of faith now ask yourself the question what does it mean to be full of faith how many of you want to be full of faith sure every one of us do Well now, wouldn't you say that a man full of faith would be one that's strong in faith? Wouldn't that be saying the same thing, really? Well, here's a scripture you're all familiar with, we've looked at many times, why don't we look at it again? It's amazing how many times you can look at scriptures and see a little different gleam of light than you did before. You've looked at it a hundred times. But here's the story in the fourth chapter of Romans about Abraham. As it is written, I made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now listen, but was strong in faith. Strong in faith. Hallelujah. Giving glory to God and being fully, well, there's that word full in some form. Full, fully. Fully persuaded that what he's promised, he's able also to perform. That's being full of faith. Amen, isn't it? Fully persuaded, hallelujah. Fully persuaded that what he's promised or that what he said, said he believed according to that which was spoken. Fully persuaded that what he said, he's able to perform. And then he gave glory to God. So that's what it means to be full of faith. So don't go away and say, well, I'm praying to God to make me full of faith. No, he won't. You just get fully persuaded that what he's promised he's able to perform. How are you going to get fully persuaded? By getting enough of the word in you. By meditating on it and feeding on it and thinking on it. Until after a while, you'll get down in here and you'll be so fully persuaded. they couldn't They couldn't knock it out of you with a baseball bat. If he said, we're gonna tie you up hand and foot, take this baseball bat and beat you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet till you say it didn't so, you'd say, just go ahead, I'll die saying it's so. You are fully persuaded. But now if you just go out and hope so, maybe so, guess so, might happen, well, you're not gonna get very far. No, full of faith, that's what it means. Well, now what does it mean to be full of the Holy Ghost? Now we all know from the scripture Something about the beginning of the experience, because Acts 2, 4 said, "'When the day of Pentecost is fully come, "'they won accord in one place. Suddenly came a sound of heaven, "'like rushing mighty wind, "'filled all the house where they were sitting. "'There appeared cloven tongues, "'like as a fire sat upon each of them. "'They were all filled with the Holy Ghost "'and began to speak with other tongues "'as the Spirit gave them utterance.'" Hallelujah. That's the beginning. You got to get full, get filled before you can be full. That's the way you get filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, how do you get full? One thing to get full, if you're filled, you're full, but you need to stay full. Don't you? I said, don't you? How do you stay filled? Why don't we turn over to the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter and see what Paul said writing to the church at Ephesus. Beginning with the 18th verse. And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled. If you're filled, you're full. Filled with the Spirit. Well, now we use that verse sometimes encouraging people who have not had this experience to get filled with the Spirit. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's writing to people that have already been filled with the Spirit. See, these are the Ephesians he's writing to. Remember the 19th chapter of Acts, beginning of the first verse. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've not so much as heard where there be any Holy Ghost. He said, to whose baptism were you baptized? And they said, John's. Skip down to the 6th verse, and Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so these people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, he's writing a letter later on to them, encouraging them not to be drunk with wine, or we might put it this way, filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, greek scholars tell us and i'm not a greek scholar now i've got to depend on some of these other fellas you know that's studied that but men i know like dad nelson for instance who was a greek scholar and uh, like uh, dr well others that actually this, this word translated fill here in English in, in the Greek there's a play on it and actually it denotes continuous action. It denotes continuous action. And it, a good literal translation is that he said, but be being filled. Be being filled with the Spirit. How, how are you going to get filled with the Spirit? Well, they were all filled and began to speak in other tongues. But how are you going to Be being filled. Well, notice what he said. But be being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves. In Psalms. And hymns. And spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's how you're going to stay full. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns, they may be in tongues, they may be maybe through the spirit of prophecy. Speaking to yourselves, constantly. Here's a practice that should be continually, something that should be continually practiced in our lives. If we're going to be being filled, speaking to yourself. Spiritual health is just as obvious as physical. Do you ever get around somebody look a little pale, look a little green around their eyes? boy you don't you know like you don't feel good no i haven't been feeling good for several days it's quite obvious if you're not full of health just dragging around you lose the spring out of your step you lose the ruddy look of complexion the eye is not as bright your reflexes is not as quick It's quite obvious when folks are not in physical health. You you can detect that. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to examine them. It's easy to detect. You know, it's just as easy to detect when folks are not in spiritual health. You lost that spirit of praise. You lost that buoyant spirit. Amen. They need to be being filled with the spirit. So full of faith full of the holy ghost full of power hallelujah that's what it means to be full of faith that's what it means to be full of power now then notice what else he said using I see first after that you're full of faith and full of power then using see some people try to use some of these things without being full of faith and power and they're not effective but full of faith and power, using the divine given instruments. Notice how the Holy Ghost said that. Isn't that strange language? Using the divine given instruments. Well, divine given means God given. But instruments. Well, what's an Instrument. Well, there's a musical instrument. It's an instrument that you make music on. What's an instrument to a carpenter? Well, it would be a hammer or saw or some other carpenter too. What's an instrument to an automobile mechanic? Well, it would be his wrenches and so on and so forth. See what I mean? He uses them to get the job done. What's he saying here? Here are two, God-given instruments that you are to use. Well, now, what if you had f- took your car to the mechanic, been your mechanic for years, so you took it by and said, say, I going to leave it here today while I go on to work here, you know. It hasn't been, you know, it just don't start. After a while it will, but it's just so slow, you know. He said, all right, I'll time it up, you know, and so on and so forth. You go back to get it, and it's still sitting right where you parked it. Outside the garage. You go and say, hey, is it ready? No, no, it's not ready yet. Well, why? Why isn't it ready? Well, I've been praying all day that God would fix it. No, he picks up his instruments. He raises the hood. He picks up the right wrench or the right whatever he needs and get busy on it using the divine given instruments are something that you use and that's what he said you you would be the understood subject of the sentence. you know here you using the divine given instruments you do it now what are these two divine given instruments now that you're full of the holy ghost and full of faith and full of the holy ghost now that you're to use Using the divine given instruments of travail yes. and compassion will make you irresistible. How many of you want to be irresistible in the right way? Amen. <laughs> All right. Notice something that Paul said about travail. Notice in the book of Galatians, Paul says in the fourth chapter, the 19th verse, my little children, now he's writing this letter to be read throughout the churches in Galatia, not just one church in one city, but the churches throughout Galatia, they were his little children, he had established every one of them. He didn't preach the gospel or build on some other man's foundation, he preached the gospel where the gospel has not been preached. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again. I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now he says that he has travailed for them in birth. He's using the term of a woman travailing in birth to give birth to a child. Spiritually speaking, I travailed in birth and so I'm going to travail in birth again for you until Christ be formed in you. Well, now just what does that mean? Here's other scripture. Turn back to the book of Isaiah. Let's read further. Gets a little further light. Isaiah, the 66th chapter, the 8th verse. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travail, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? She's using the natural birth to explain the spiritual something. Now, very often, scripture in the Old Testament had a twofold meaning. It referred actually to Israel, and this does too, and about the rebirth of Israel, and Israel has been reborn, but then very often there's a further meaning that the Spirit of God gives us, which is a spiritual meaning. Now turn over to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Paul writing to the Hebrew Christians, beginning to read with the 18th verse said, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now, of course, you understand that he's talking first about Mount Sinai. You understand that. Now, then notice what it says. But ye, talking to these Hebrew Christians, and we too, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the first bar notice among other things that he's saying that mount zion is the general assembly and church of the first bar so when he in the old testament here when isaiah was prophesying, he's prophesied about israel to begin with but he went off in the spirit you know and paul said that those prophets desired to look into those things he didn't even know what he's prophesied about and said as soon as zion travailed, she brought forth her children and Paul said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now, the Lord said to me recently, and, and, and when I say recent, I don't mean last few days. I'm talking about the last few months and weeks, and last two years, particularly, been indeed, with me along a certain line, uh, about the charismatic move. See, they, he said they know a, a lot about praise, not all they need to know, but they don't know much about prayer. And they don't know really too much about the move of the Spirit. Now, I sent you to teach my people faith. Now, I want you to go teach them on the Holy Ghost. For if I do not come, there's something about prayer and about the move of the Spirit of God that will be lost to this generation. If it's lost to this generation, it'll be lost from every generation afterwards. Unless somebody gets busy and receives revelation from God. Are you understanding And here's something that we know little or nothing about today is real travail in prayer. We use the word intercession so lightly. Of course, that has something to do with it. I would actually say it, I've never said it before, it just came up out of my spirit then. That really travail is one side of intercession. Really what came up out of my spirit, that travail is the deeper side of intercession. We know a little something about the shallow side of intercession. We pray with our understandings and with tongues a little bit. But we know nothing about really getting into the spirit and really travailing and groaning until you're actually hurt on the inside like your stomach's about to burst wide open. Are you listening to me? I can remember in days gone by uh, of praying like that. When you're in those kind of meetings, until actually I held my stomach. It felt like it's absolutely going to burst. Just absolutely going to burst, and it hurt, and I cried out, "Lost, lost!" For nearly an hour, lost. I'm lost, lost, lost. It's a combination of travail and intercession. Intercession, an intercessor is one that takes the place of another. Are oh, you listening to me? And you see, as an intercessor, you take the place of that lost person. You feel on the inside of you just like you're lost. You feel just like you're going to hell. You feel that away on the inside of you. You see, when I talk, talk like that, a, a question mark comes on your face. You don't know anything about it. haven't been in there. But I prayed that away for an hour or an hour and a half. Went out to church that night, preached 15 minutes. The power of God fell never every in the house. Got saved. Didn't even get to give an altar call. Just got up and run. Run. Run to the altar. Ran to the altar. You see, if we had more travail, we'd have so much more happening. That's what he's saying to me. Use it. And that's something you do. Using the divine given instruments. Paul said, I travail." I'm going to travail again. Amen? Until Christ be formed in you. Oh, there is a place in prayer. There is a place in prevailing, travailing prayer. There is a place that we haven't been. There is a place that only a few has gotten into the edge of it. Dr. Summerall said something. Uh, about this he said in my 50 years of ministry i think three times i've been over into that area of of travail until i i didn't think i was going to get back i I didn't think i was going to get back i think that's one thing and i think dr hicks nailed it down very aptly it's our physical man that fights us and, and our mind that's not renewed that keeps us out of it because you see you begin to move over into that realm of the spirit, in that realm of prayer, and and you actually literally from the natural, not spiritual, natural, literal, physical standpoint, you, you begin afraid you're not going to get back. You understand what I mean by that? And yet, what God wants to do, every great move of God, the church gave birth to it. Every great move of God, prayers, intercessors, and travailers gave birth to it. It didn't just happen because God willed it. It happened because some would listen to the Spirit of God and others, just like Daniel, stirred himself up to seek God. Notice God didn't do a thing in the world until Daniel stirred himself up. The Bible said he stirred himself up to seek God. You notice the song, the verse that Brother Hicks used both last night and today in the morning service. And the song that, that uh, first Brother Engel sing, you see here. If my people that are called by my name, if they'll do something. See, so many times we're waiting for God to initiate something. Because he has a few times, you know. If my people, which are called by my name, he's not talking to sinners. I mean, I mean, if somebody said, well, he's talking to Israel. Well, yes, that's true. But round right the other hand, it, it, it applies to all ages to God's people. My people, which are called by my name, if they'll do something, what? Humble themselves first. Seek my face. I think that's another, another way of saying pray and, and, and get over into the realm of intercession and on into travail. See, we're, we're even more enlightened now than they were then. Turn from their wicked ways. I, I, I'll forgive their iniquities. I'll heal the land. Well, he wanted to heal the land all the time, didn't he? I mean, God's a good God. He wants to do good. Why don't he? Because folks won't let him. Why don't he just go ahead and move? He wants to initiate some great move. Why don't he just do it? If he wants to send a revival, why don't he just do it? Well, you have to understand that's not the way God does it. I said, you have to understand that's not the way God does it. I can remember this. I've been around a few years, you know. You just accidentally stumble up on a few things in fifty years, you know. Wouldn't have to be too smart. You'd you'd fall over a few things, nothing else, and learn by that. But I I can remember during World War II, and and, uh, in February of nineteen forty-three, and and the winter of forty-two and forty-three, and. uh, I was stirred up. I stirred myself up to begin with, really, just to seek God. We had, primarily, I was a pastor of the assembly of God just down in East Texas, and we had an abundance of tongues and interpretation. That's about all we ever had any manifestation of the Spirit. If there's any other manifested, I didn't know it. I'd talked to other preachers and pastors. If anything was ever manifested other than t- not even prophecy, tongue and interpretation, they didn't know it and had never seen any of it. I'd seen some of it. I'd had some at my own ministry. But I, I, I just sought the face of God. And we, we was pastor, you know, of a, of a small church. And, and, and the pastor's was right close to the church. And, and we didn't have central heat in those days. We'd just come out of the Depression everything, you know, wages and, and prices were frozen at the, where they were. And, and uh, we just had uh, single heaters in a room, you know. And our bedroom wasn't heated. And we had a heater in the in the living room and then of course the kitchen stove in the kitchen that's the only two stoves we had actually and you could open up the house and turn the heater up in the living room it eventually circulate through these other two bedrooms small house but uh and so we keep the doors closed we want to keep the bedrooms cool you know even in the winter time this cold but but we kept the fire on just a little bit in the living room all the time so the living room is always warm i just turn it down low at night and night after night, my wife was used to be praying all hours of the night. I got started that way in some way or another, just always have. So it didn't bother her if I wasn't in bed, because I, I was up a lot of times praying. And, and I'd go to the living room and just, just, just pray this over and over and over. And I couldn't say anything else, it didn't seem like Just uh, Lord, uh, may the mightier manifestations, thank God for tongue interpretation. We're not building that, thank God for it. But but this, this manifestation, this gift or manifestation of faith or special faith and working of miracles and gifts of healings. May they be more in prominence among us. May they come into manifestation. I didn't ask him to use me. That would have been selfish. I could have cared you less whether he used me in any of them or not, long as he did it. Now, if you were praying that he'll use you and you're the one who won't be, it won't be heard because that's selfish. There's a certain amount of human ego there. You want you really don't want it to be used just so that folk can be blessed. You want to be used so folk can see you, and you can brag about what I did. And it won't happen. It won't happen. Don't care how much you pray. But when you get a burden, bless God to help others. And you'd rather God would use somebody else than to use you in any of these things. Then you might be used and probably will be. That's humbling yourself. Are you listening to me? No, I didn't pray to use me. In fact, I'd rather not. I'd rather he hadn't used me. He did use me limitedly. But I'd rather that he hadn't used me. In fact, I asked him not to. When he did visit me, I said, Lord, give that to somebody else. I don't want it. Give, it, give, give, give somebody else. But here's what I started to say. I, I got so taken up with that kind of praying that a time or two, I think three times that winter, I woke up. Now, I remember going to bed. See, I was sleeping. But when I came to when I woke up, I was in the living room on my knees by the couch praying that prayer. And I thought to myself, you know, when I, when I woke up, it was coming out of my mouth. I heard myself praying it. And then I thought to myself, how did I get here? Well, well I don't remember coming here. How, how did I get in here? I know that I was so taken up with praying that way that I just must have got up in my sleep and went to the living. Three times that way, I woke up in there at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, on my knees of praying. Well, after continually praying that way, not just this week and forgetting it, but day after day, week after week, nearly every night, I'd do it. If I happened to wake up nighttime. I'd, I'd get up and go in there and pray, you see. Because if you try to pray in bed sometimes, it's warm and it's cold, otherwise you go back to sleep, so you want to pray for a while. And, and uh, then one day, February 23rd, I prayed five hours and 45 minutes in other tongues, and the Lord said to me, and I had one of these, those days, those little pads, real handed so I just wrote it down. At the close of World War II, there'll come a revival of divine healing to America. Well, now, that was February of 1943. September of 1943, first Monday night of September, I preached a. a rally, young people's rally, first, actually a year later, 1944. And I said to them, let me give you a little insight on something's going to happen when the war's over. See, the war wasn't over, it's was still in it. Didn't end in 45, see, this is 44, a year ahead of time. And I read to them what the Lord had said to me. Now, listen, when I read that, when I said that, I never gave an invitation. The church was full, ministers standing around the wall, ministers <laughs> standing in the back. When I said that, like, like like some unseen person was directing them. Everybody, see, they're sitting down, stood up, and run to the altar. Preachers ran down the aisle. Preachers ran and fell in the altar. And I looked back across the room, and all I'd done just said that. Didn't have any singing, didn't wave my arm, just said it. And I looked back across the crowd, and you'd think he was looking over for a the battlefield. Everybody's either you know, lying on the floor and kneeling on the floor. Wasn't anybody upset me, so I got down with them. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, now that revival started in 1947. There were two men particular in different parts of the nation that God especially spoke to. Or Roberts was pastor of a small Pentecostal Holy Church over at in Indian, Oklahoma. God spoke to him. Brother Branham up in Indiana, Baptist minister had been baptized the Holy Ghost, spoke with a tongue. An angel appeared to him. And they sort of spearheaded the healing revival. Until all over America. I had evangelists say to me, I never prayed for the sick in my life. I mean older people, men and, their, and women in their 60s. Never had healing meetings in my life. I've been in the ministry 40 years. Getting people saved, singing, giving altar calls, getting people saved. Never had a healing service in 40 years. But I started having healing service. It couldn't have been their faith. It was a wave. It was, they got on the wave and started riding it. Said to my utter amazement, people just started getting healed everywhere. Well, I said, it's the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. Well, one lady of told me, I don't know, I think she's 60 or 62 or three at the time. Been in the ministry, you know, for over 40 years. Never prayed. Before. Said, blind woman, instantly healed. Just, 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 just popped open like that. Said, I just went home to me. Said, dear God, we ought to have been doing this, I guess. But what happened to them? They didn't even know what happened. They just got on that wave that the rest of us prayed in and started riding it. We gave birth to that. I said in 1958 I was preaching Oak cliff assembly where brother Noah was pastor in Dallas and 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 you see the healing revival began to wane it lasted from 47 through 58 and that wave began to subside and I said to them one night suddenly I said it just, just spoke it out like I did that while ago I mean it come up in me it surprised me I said the next revivals this revival's about over the next revivals in the church now they thought I meant the full gospel church because you know if God's gonna best anybody gonna best full gospel Pentecostals you know you know I didn't mean that at all I meant the revivals come in over here in the denominational church it was the charismatic move so we got that charismatic move thank God for the charismatic move great things happened. A little while later I had a vision I saw myself preaching in other churches Baptists, Methodists, and so on even preaching to the Roman Catholics amen when I say preaching the church I mean the, the, the body of the believer not necessarily the building but preaching in some of their buildings not their main sanctuary. I had some services in their, some of their other lesser auditorium because they didn't let anybody in the main auditorium except those folks that was rightly frocked. <laughs> and, uh, and, but we did have services there on their grounds and in their buildings, you see, and to the church, <laughs> amen. And, and I saw that in the spirit. Well, you see, that revival is beginning to win. We've had a revival of, of teaching, I can remember Dr. Hicks, and you know, we, we, we go back a few, few days. There was a time in full gospel and Pentecostal circles that if you were a teacher, you know, folks almost turned their nose up at you. See, they wanted you to preach. You couldn't get a meeting, a teaching meeting. Who ever heard of having a teaching meeting? And about only teachers we knew was dead and dry and wordy But see, God revived the teaching ministry. Hallelujah. We had a great move of the Spirit, you see, and the Pentecostals had a great move of the Spirit, but they had very little word. I saw this when I came to the Pentecostals out of the Baptists. I've said this many times. I didn't have the Baptist and the Holy Ghost, but I found out that without the Baptist and the Holy Ghost, I was getting, I'd say, more people healed, than any five full gospel preachers. I know, because after I came among them, I observed them and then talked to them and asked them. I was pastor. Well, how did you do it? So Wigglesworth said, there's something about believing God that'll cause God to pass over a million people just to get to you. The thing was, I taught them the word. I knew nothing about the move of the spirit. So I didn't know to wait on anything. I thought we already had it, the word. I gave them the word. I taught them the word. I read they lay hands on the sickness. Shall recover. I'm going to lay hands on you now and you'll recover. You'll start the minute I lay hands on you. Some of them instantly got all right and then some gradually began to recover. Or I'd read about anointing with oil, see, and just practice it in faith. But now when I got among the Pentecostals, what they were doing was waiting for the Spirit. If the power was there, it would work. So the power must not have been there. So they'd get out and sing, Oh Lord, send the power just now. If the power came, they all felt better. They thought, well, that's it. By the time they got home, they had all the symptoms. wasn't any faith mixed with it, you see. I saw the difference right away. But I had enough sense, you know, at 21 years of age, 20 years of age, 21 to keep my mouth shut. Who's going to listen to somebody to come from the outside? Just recently got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're not going to listen to you. So I hung around, you see, for about 10 years till so I got to be 30. And I thought, well, it's time for me to put my nickel in now. Prove myself, you see, and let them see reality. Amen. But now listen to me. There was a a revival of teaching. There was a revival of the faith. See, whatever is lacking, God will revive that. And to get people up into a good condition, he may have to even get you to go to the extreme. Because, see, the church is in the ditch over here with unbelief and negativism, and you've got to get away over here in the ditch on faith. And in the ditch on positivism to pull them back up in the middle of the road but once you get them back in the middle of the road don't stay over there come back in the middle of the road with them are oh, you listening to me now you see and so there was that way see I was out there by myself for a while for a long time my 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 I run up and down the hills of East Texas and preach that God wanted to prosperous and had uh, four ball tires and no spare and a junk car. Pocket knife in one pocket, and a dime in the other one. An Empty bill, phone bills piled up on both sides of me. (laughs) Preaching God wants to prosper us. God's going to prosper us. Hallelujah. Amen. And he did. I said he did. And the preaching faith, you see, till finally some began to get a hold of it, and began to see it. And there was a revival of the preaching and the teaching of faith. Now here's what happens with waves that come, and these waves come, they've always come. They'll keep on coming till Jesus comes. God has a purpose in it, but here's what happens: if you ride on that wave and just stay on that wave, you'll eventually wind up on the shore, high and dry. Now stop just a minute and think: Are you a student of history? History was always my favorite subject i've always been a history buff and after i became a christian i used that same intelligence over in the area of christian education but i used to could just rattle off pages of ancient history modern history i loved history and uh, go go back in history just a little bit you see of course we know about the early church and all of that we can go back and read some we're limited but we can read some you know from the early church fathers And then we 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 see where they went into what we call the dark ages so to speak but you see remember the wave came of justification by faith the revelation came to martin luther justification by faith folks didn't know that they're trying to work their way into glory justification by faith well my 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 how the lutherans were blessed my what a move of the spirit of god you read after Luther. Luther talks about casting out devils. He talks about healing the sick. He talks about talking in tongues. Even. Gifts of the Spirit. Manifestation. They was a move, but see, they just stayed on that wave. They've been high and dry for years. Then there came the Wesleys. Methodist revival. Wesley began to see sanctification, holiness. See, my what a wave. Wesley. I've got some, some of the boys there in England, got some of the, you know, uh, journals at Wesley, you know. I, I have them out there in my library. Some of his writings, uh, he, he kept a journal, you see, a, a, a diary everywhere he went. And uh, and, and the, these books are 100 years old. They, they were published, it tell you, right exactly when they were published. They got them out of an old bookstore there somewhere, you see. And, and Wesley talks about praying for the sick. He talks about even his horse of being healed. Methodist fellow talking about his horse of being healed. <laughs> Why, most Pentecostals nowadays would laugh at you about getting healed, must you getting healed, must less your horse. Amen. <laughs> hey, Are you listening to me? Sure. But there was a real wave, and people got on that wave and rode it. What a blessing it was. People fell under the power. But some folks never did get off of that wave, they just stayed on that wave. Rode it right into the shore, been high and dry for years. Then there's the Pentecostals at the turn of the century, outpouring of the Holy Ghost at the Azusa Street Mission in California and up here in Topeka, Kansas at the Bible School. My, 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 what all came out of that. Several different full gospel denominations, Assembly of God, Church of God, Pentecostal Holiness, Four Square Church, and and, and the Independent Pentecostals. And it's just sprung up everywhere, all over the world, all over the United States. What a way, what a revival, what a revival. My, my, my baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues but that's as far as they ever God speaking with other tongues they all of them believed in gifts of the spirit on paper they said so right there you could read it all but when the gift of the spirit started operating oh well, we don't believe in that the heathen revival came and most all of the Pentecostal movement was turned it down charismatic movement came most all of the Pentecostal movement turned it down because God's going to bless anybody he'd bless us that can't be real Oh, finally, they had to admit, you know, well, we, we, we accept the fact that folks are receiving, you know. Amen. And then the revival of faith came. Most of the Pentecostal groups turned it down. But we've been riding that wave. If we're not careful, we'll ride it right on into the shore and we'll be dry, left high and dry. But I can see in the realm of the Spirit, glory to God, another wave coming in out, yonder. If you want to ride this and on in, go ahead and ride it. You know what I'm doing? I'm going back out, yonder and get on that big one. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And it may be. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not prophesying it. I'm just saying it. It may be. It, I can see it. It may be the wave that will just ride on in through the glory. <laughs> we won't need to get off of that one. I'm of the opinion that it is. What do you say? What is it? It's a combination of the two. It's a combination of faith and power. <laughs> it's a combination of teaching and manifestation. See, we've had teaching with very little manifest—oh, a little. Case me here, there, just a spoonful, a dab here, and a dab there, sort of like brill cream—a little dab will do you. But a little dab won't do you. God wants to do more than deal with dabs. Amen. amen. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And these are the beginnings of these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we'll ride it on in. Amen. To be successful there. Same thing. you successful on this way. Full of faith. Full of power. Using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion. Now here's what I want to say to you. And I'm going to wind this down now. Listen. Real carefully. Every one of these moves of God... We're given birth by the church through prayer, through travail, through intercession. We're going to have to give birth to this movie. It's out there, just waiting to come in. We'll have to give birth to it. We're doing it. We are doing it. We're going to continue to do it. Now, listen real carefully. Uh, you know, you can take any one of those points and preach all night on it and teach all night on it. But now listen real carefully. Using, that means then, travail, prayer, intercession is an instrument you use. An instrument that it takes to get the job done. Now, here's Roy writing down some notes here. I notice he has a pen. That pen is an instrument to write with. That pen didn't just jump down there and start writing itself, he picked it up and started using it. Can you see it? You use that instrument of travail. Compassion. It'll make you irresistible. You'll not only have a successful apostolic ministry, it'll make you irresistible. Now, what do you mean? Compassion. This look, you could, oh my, my, my. I could preach all this next week on this and not exhaust it. Notice that the Word of God tells us about Jesus and His compassion. And remember, we are the body of Christ in the earth today. He was the only body of Christ in the earth then. We're the body of Christ in the earth today. Now, the dictionary says to have compassion means to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. To love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy. To be full of eager yearning. That's what it means to have compassion. Let's look at some scriptural references concerning the compassion of Jesus for our example. Notice in Mark's gospel, the first chapter, the 40th through the 45th verse. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with what? Compassion. Moved with eager yearning to help the man. Moved with pity. Moved with tender love. Moved with mercy. Put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Now skip down there to about that 45th verse. Just skip a little of the reading here. And notice, Notice a statement here. And they came to him from every quarter. They came to him from every quarter. You see, when you minister in compassion, dear brother, the compassion of Jesus, they'll come to you from every quarter. One fellow said, I think F.F. Bosworth said, they'll come from the Baptist quarter. They'll come from the Methodist quarter. They'll come from the Presbyterian quarter. They'll come from the Episcopalian quarter. They'll come from the Christian science quarter. Amen, they'll come even from the occult quarter. They'll come from every quarter. Now notice Matthew, the 14th chapter, the 13th and 14th verses. And he, that's Jesus, departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. You know when you're going to get people healed, really? When your soul moved with such eager yearning, you just can't keep praying for them. You just have to lay hands on them. Amen. Eager yearning. Eager yearning. Look in Matthew, there at the 14th chapter of Matthew. Turn back to the 20th chapter of Matthew, the 29th through the 34th verse. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Jesus, as we go on reading, said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. His compassion moved him to minister to the sick. I thought about something that John Lake said in some of his sermons or writings. He was there in South Africa went out at the turn of the century. There in Johannesburg and there was one of the uh, leaders of the nation one of the among the top governmental leaders you know whose wife came down with cancer well of course they knew little or nothing in those days about it have learned quite a bit today but there wasn't any medical science gave her up to die i mean there's nothing they could do you know she's just gonna die and had not wasted away nothing just looked like a, a corpse already and about all they were doing, they just simply had her own uh, morphine and dope, you know, to keep her as best they could. Well, they called for his prayers because it was known throughout the land how God was using him. So he went and began to share scripture with them. She began to see scripture and just simply said, we don't encourage it, but under that circumstance, it's all right. She just said, well, I, I, you know, doctors can't do anything anyway. I'm won't die now. They said, I'm just going to trust God entirely. I'm not even going to take the pain killing. Lake said as long as they stayed with her and prayed, she didn't have any pain. But if they left, she'd just start screaming with pain. And he'd he'd prayed with her all night long. She'd slept well. And so one of his associates, one of his fellow ministers came, you know, because he had prayed all night long by her bedside. And so he went to change his clothes and refresh himself, you know. And his associate took up. And so after he had he had shaved and bathed and put on fresh raiment and he went back and he said when i got within two blocks of the house i could hear that dear woman screaming in pain and he said without thinking something got a hold of me I, I just began to weep and i ran those last two blocks and i ran into that house and without thinking i just ran up to the bed and gathered her up my arms just wasted away to nothing, you see, lying there. Gathered her up in my arms and just sat on the side of the bed and held her like a little child in my arms and wept. And while I was weeping, she's perfectly healed. Eager yearning to help her. Pity. Some way or another, some way or another, some way or another, the compassion of Jesus. Some way or another, the compassion of Jesus flowed through him. Well, if we've got Jesus in us, we ought to have his compassion in us christ in you the hope of glory pick it up and start using it using the divine given instruments i found out a lot of times you know it isn't something that i just put on a lot of time little children afflicted and twisted many times i'm just moved by the spirit of god to take them in my arms and hold them up against me and weep and just weep and then i feel something going out of me into them sometimes you don't see any difference right then You've handed them back to the mother, no different. But I've had them to write to them and say from that moment, that child, now then they're back, they're in school. They went school school, they're learning. One mother said, you know, my little child, eight years old, already been in school, you know, for a couple of years. But you know, they've already caught up to the class. Already caught up to them. Just a the matter of the first year, they've already caught up to the class. They're just learning so fast, you know. Something happened. I believe some way or another the compassion of Jesus, praise God, just flowed out of me into that child. It's healing compassion. Oh Father, every head bowed, every eye closed. We could go on and on, but I'll stop. This is a good place.